How's your week going? Uh, not too bad. I actually went yesterday and got my second COVID vaccine. How'd that go? Not bad. The um, I didn't even feel the shot, but um, today my arm is a bit sore. And I have been a bit tired too, but it's definitely worth it to not have to worry about COVID as much. So do my part to end the pandemic. I get my Monday. Yeah. Actually, Paul and I both get ours monday well chris actually got his first one today so we everybody's getting vaccinated so that's a good thing and hopefully um we can all start living semi-normal lives again i know we bought patio furniture so hopefully we can entertain some people yes that would be nice yeah we also have a whole cow we have to eat (laughs) in our freezers (laughs) that's true i'm glad to give some of that away because there's no way we're going to eat all that it's a lot it's a lot what else happened this week? Um, not much. Basically, um, we're coming up on Easter, so we've been getting ready for that. Um, did you um, dye Easter eggs with Cash? We did. Cash, um, my son, loves dyeing Easter eggs, and he made one yesterday that looks like a candy corn, and that was his favorite. He told me yesterday, though, when I saw him, that he did not put a white dot at the end of it, so it was not accurate. <laughs> well, and that does not surprise me if he would say that, but but yeah, we have, we've had a good time. It's been a good week, and I'm looking forward to spending some time with the fam tomorrow. Yeah. So. Well, Paul went out today. Paul's my husband and our producer, so I don't think he'll mind me saying this, and if he does, so sue me. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, so he goes with the Nerd Herd. And for those of you who don't know, the Nerd Herd is all his RC buddies. And they get together and play with remote control cars. And they went to a uh, store today in North Carolina and... Did some damage to your American Express. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not the American Express, but yeah, he, he did some damage. Because <laughs> well, he sends me a picture of the receipt. And about... I was in the car driving. He's he's lucky I didn't run off the road. But um but then he says, Oh, I'm just playing. It wasn't that high. It was only X amount less than that. That wasn't even like a quarter of less than what it was. <laughs> so, well, you know, we all have to have a hobby. I know. But my birthday is like in six Coming days. Coming up, yeah, the big four O. <laughs> so you better remember that come my birthday. So how how do you feel uh turning forty? Well, you know, I don't feel that bad about it, um, but I woke up this morning with like, I can't turn my head to the right, <laughs> and I'm hoping I just slept wrong, and I'm not like, it's just a sign of old age, but um, do you remember that episode of that 70s show? I knew you were going to bring this up. No, you didn't. I did, because no, I actually already pictured Donna in my head, <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't turn her neck. Yes, when... when uh, he was, Eric was going to be a chiropractor. Yeah, he was going to be a chiropractor. And he, he read like the first chapter and he's like, I'm good to go. And so he tries it on Donna and she can't move her neck for... So that's what I felt like all day. So changing lanes today was eh, 50-50. But, you know, luckily... Use your camera anyway. Right? I've got blind spot detectors, yeah. so it, it went okay. Well, good. I mean, it sounds like... um. We're moving right along, and I'd just like to say, too, um, we did our we posted our first podcast this past week, and I'd like to thank people that have actually taken the time to listen to it and enjoy it. We've gotten some feedback from people, and it's been awesome. I mean, we kind of decided to do this as a um, 
you know, hobby because we were into true crime and just enjoyed, you know, doing the research and everything. But it's been awesome to um, actually talk to people that listen to it. It's been great. Yeah, we've had several people reach out and say they've listened to it and um, liked some of the points we've made and like the way we banter, I guess. Um, But it's been really good to hear from people that have listened to it. And we hope you continue listening and share it with all your friends and their friends and go to One Murder at a Time. See us on Facebook or our website, onemurderatatime.com. And uh, if you have any story suggestions or um, anything you'd like us to touch on, let us know. Um, We would be willing to look at any story. So this week's story that we're going to talk about is Tara Muncie. And if you've been in the Southwest Virginia area for any amount of time, since 2000 anyway, you know about this story. Right, yeah. So Tara Muncie was a sophomore at Rafford High School. And for those of you who are not local to that area, Rafford is just over the bridge from Pulaski County. So Pulaski County has about 35,000 residents. residents. And uh, Fairlawn, which is the area that we'll be talking about mostly, is about 2,000 to 2,500. So we're talking about a small um, southwest Virginia town. Very uh, rural. Very rural. People know pretty much, if you don't know them, you've heard of them. Right. Um, so um, this story hit a lot of people, you know, it was so close to home. And um, I think one thing that we had talked about is this is the first uh, murder case that we really paid real close attention to because it was close to home and Tara was, you know, around our age. I mean, she was younger than us, but, you know, within 10 years. Um, so, yeah, that I think that that's the you know thing we can remember is that this one really is the first one that we remember that grabbed headlines and people talked about and, um, you know, yeah, that it really was out there. And it was kind of before the internet really took off because it had just started getting out there. Facebook and social media and all that had just started getting mm-hmm. out there. And it seemed like you didn't, you weren't inundated with the details of this as you would be now. Well, not everybody was carrying around a cell phone. Right. Because this happened in January of 2000. Not everybody had a cell phone. I remember the phone I had was like super thick and you had to pull the antenna up for it to work and signal was spotty at best, but not everybody had them yet. No, it definitely wasn't like it is now where um, every high school student has a cell phone and every adult has a cell phone and six year old. Yeah. (laughs) Kindergarten. (laughs) Yeah. It is hard to think about that now, Mm -hmm. actually going back to that kind of lifestyle where you couldn't just get in touch with somebody as soon as you wanted to. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, is an element of this story that I think is interesting because they couldn't use any of that kind of technology to find her. They couldn't use, they couldn't ping the cell phone. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't call her. So Mm -hmm. basically, you know, it's, Old school detective work, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so um, this was January 25th of 2000. And actually, you know when the first time I I heard about this case? When was that? So it was 2000. Mm -hmm. I was going to the local community college. Mm -hmm. I I didn't go to class a lot. (laughs) Like, I, I was there. Like, I was on the property. You're on campus. I was on campus, <laughs> but I had just started writing my first screenplay. Mm-hmm. 
which was premonitions, and it was absolutely terrible. It was a scream knockoff, and it was just terrible. Okay. It was it was fun trying to shoot it, though, well, for those of you who remember that. It was good times. I have the outtakes, and that's pretty <laughs> much all we had. We never even got one scene shot all the way through. No. But anyway, so I was writing my first screenplay, and so I would go like I was going to school, and I, I smoked at the time, so I sat out on the smoker's patio, and wrote my screenplay and inside from the smoker's patio they had tvs that hung down as you went down the hallways to the schools Mm -hmm. and that's when i first remember seeing that picture that went around immediately you know once we knew that looked like a school picture yeah yeah it looked like a school picture so the morning of the 25th of january in 2000 tara receives a phone call from jeffrey allen thomas so he is a 30-year-old guy that um, is dating the mother of Tara's boyfriend. Yes. Actually, and, I think they had just broken up, like, right before. Yeah, but it was recent. Very it was very recent. recent. Um, also, um, Tara actually had babysat for Jeffrey Thomas as oh, well. So, I didn't know that. So, yeah, she had also babysat his um, child. So, I guess that's how they were acquaintances, seeing as he was 30 and she was 16. Yeah, it's already weird. Yeah, yeah. red flag. But anyhow... So, apparently, uh, Jeffrey Thomas wanted her to meet him and one of his friends and bring some of her friends over to this guy's apartment. And they were just going to party for the afternoon. Like we said, 30-year-olds partying with a bunch of 16, 17-year-olds. Already red flags. Right. So, Tara and some of her friends go over to this guy's apartment. And that guy's there and Jeffrey Thomas is there. And they party for the afternoon. So around 2.30, Tara leaves. And uh, she's going to her job at Taco Bell, Mm -hmm. which was in the Fairlawn area of Pulaski County. Yeah, it's right before, it was right before you crossed the bridge over into Radford. Yeah, there's another Mexican restaurant there now. They completely tore down the Taco Bell. But um, obviously that was later. But that's where she worked part-time. There are witness reports that Jeffrey followed her when she left. Now, according to his testimony later in the trial, he says that he was following her to an ATM because she was going to buy weed from him. So there were bank statements, and it was recorded that she did take out $5 at an ATM before she went into work. Yeah, Uh, and, you know, that could be a possibility, I guess, but um, I don't really know that much about the weed industry. (laughs) I don't know how much you can buy for $5, but I don't know. I kind of... I, it sounds more to me because we'll find out later, you know, there's, they found food in her car and you get $5, you think more along the lines of, I'm going to get something to eat later. Yeah. You know, especially a 16 year old girl, you know, she goes, gets $5, she's going to get food. Well, the thing I, is, it doesn't make sense to me because they were smoking weed there. You're right. So, I mean, why would she have to go buy it from him when she's already, already there, you know? supposedly smoking it with him there. Right. So, I, I don't know. I don't know that I buy his story of that. Yeah. I, I It's it's suspicious, but we don't know. I mean, it could be, that could be the case, or it could not. But yeah. We, all we know for sure is that he left when she left. Yeah. So, he followed her. She went on to work, and she I guess she clocked in probably around 3 o'clock. So she was at her job at Taco Bell, and her dad, Bill Muncy, called her and asked if she wanted to go to a basketball game with him and her brother. Mm-hmm. 
And so her shift went on as normal, except about 30 minutes before time to get off from work. A car load of guys came through the drive-thru and were kind of just giving them hell, basically, through the drive-thru, just Mm -hmm. being obnoxious. Right, yeah. And uh, so she clocks out at 7. And when she leaves Taco Bell... Those guys are actually in the parking lot. Right. And this was back before there were cameras everywhere. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't even think Taco Bell had a camera on the parking lot. I, I think that it was pretty much, there was nothing. Like, yeah. it was. this is all based on witness testimony. Yeah. There's nothing else to back it up, I don't believe. Well, because that area is, it's heavy traffic it area. Is, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are on that road. And, I mean... She was seen, mm-hmm. you know, but people didn't know anything was going on, obviously. And at the time, it may it probably didn't appear, even if you had seen them, yeah. it wouldn't have appeared that anything, you know, out of the ordinary was going on. Right. Because she did know him. She knew the two, the people that had come through the drive-thru. She knew them because they were actually former employees of mm-hmm. Taco Bell. So she knew them. So even if... Um, you know, someone had passed by and seen her talking to them, they wouldn't necessarily think mm-hmm. that there were was any issue. Right. Because people said they saw them talking mm-hmm. or heard confronting them about being jerks as they came through the drive-thru. But we don't have confirmation on that. That was just what somebody said. So we don't know that she actually had any interaction with them at all. So they leave, and Jeffrey Allen Thomas pulls in right after they leave. Right, so the guys that came through the drive-thru, it was found, I mean, there nothing came yeah. of that. They were just kids, basically. Just being obnoxious. Yeah. So yeah. They were, there was nothing um, going on there that was out of the ordinary, really. Just right. kids being kids. So that's the last time she's seen. So this is on January 25th, around 7 o'clock. Yeah, between 7 and 7.30. Hey, Tracy, those are cute jeans. I got these at Devoted to You. Oh, yeah, I've been meaning to drop by there. You should go. They have vintage boho styles, tops, shoes, and everything in between. Where's it located? They're on Main Street in Withville, or you can find them online at devotedtou12.com. Sounds cool. And for our listeners, we have a special discount code that can be used online or in stores. OMAT15, O-M-A-A-T for one murder at a time, 15, for 15% off. Orders over $25. Limit to one per customer. Awesome. I can't wait to check them out. You should. And so should our listeners. Stop by Devoted to You today. So basically, from here, it took a while for the you know police to put together actually what happened. Because, like we were saying, you know they didn't have the technology to work with in 2000 that we have now. There's not street cameras everywhere. There's not, you know, businesses didn't have the cameras like they do now. People didn't have the phones with the cameras. So there's a lot that they didn't have to work with that we would have now. And probably more than likely it would have shortened the time, even Mm -hmm. though in the scheme of things it was fairly quick. Yeah. But it would have probably been even shorter. Yeah. So basically she doesn't show up to the basketball game Mm -hmm. and um, her father drove by the Taco Bell and saw that her car was still there. On his way to the game, right? On his way to the game. So the car was still there. So he knew she hadn't left the Taco Bell, or at least he didn't think she had. So basically, she just doesn't show up where she's supposed to be. He thought she went out with some friends. Right. Or just 
just blew off the game and you just wanted to go hang out with friends or whatever. I and mean, again, she's 16. Again, you, know? you can't text and say, hey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not Most coming. people at that point couldn't anyway. Right. Or if you did, it took you like a half an hour to write two words. <laughs> right. But yeah, she she didn't have access to any of that. So he thought she, like I said, went off with friends. She's 16 years old, popular girl, just went out with some friends. So Bill gets a call from his ex-wife, Kitty, who's Tara's mother, in the middle of the night, and Tara hasn't come home. Well, then they start to get a little bit worried. Right. Because it's not like her to be gone all night. And so they go to Taco Bell. Her car is still there. And in the front seat, she has the uniform hat from Taco Bell. She has her food that she had taken from work. And her purse is in the car. Right. That's when it starts getting serious for her. Right. So they call the police. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not been 24 hours yet. So they're kind of, again, in the thinking of these are teenagers. She'll mm-hmm. probably turn up in a couple hours, you know, whatever. But um, the next day, they decide to go ahead and form a search party. And this was a pretty big search party from mm-hmm. what I've read. So there, there was a lot of people there from around the county. Like I said, she... You didn't really hear about this. In this area, teenagers didn't go missing. Right. And, yeah, so this was this was a super important case that somebody was missing that was that young. Right. And it's an area, too, where people want to help each other out. Yeah. So, you know, when you hear that your neighbor's daughter's missing, it, people come out and they want to help. They want to find, you know, where she's at. They want... They want a good ending for the story. Yeah. So basically, um, Tara's father had said that on the very first search party that was organized, that Jeff Thomas came to that search party, and Tara's dog went straight to him. And that made them suspicious right then. Wow. Because, um, you know, her dog went straight for him. He's Almost still ha- like he may have had some kind of scent on him. Because this was the next day, right? Yeah. So, you know, who knows? And I, if she had been in his car and he drove his car there, you know, yeah. there could be remnants. I mean, you don't know. But they thought that was very suspicious. So that kind of, that made them start looking at him as like, well. Just the family, like the police yeah, weren't. Right. Yeah. They're like, that's really weird. That is weird. Yeah. Yeah. I, can't, I totally, I mean, it's somebody that you're not really that familiar with and that, you know, probably, I can't imagine that he was like coming over to their house. And, yeah. You know, I, I don't think they were very familiar with him. Yeah. But um, for the dog to go straight to him, yeah, it's very, very strange. Yeah. So anyhow, they have search parties. Um, it goes on for a few weeks um, before anyone... Police get involved later that, right. that day once they realize, okay, she's not coming home. Um, she's not... They don't think she's a runaway. There's no indication that she's a runaway. Something's obviously... I mean, her purse was left. Her food was left. She, she's gone. Right. Obviously, it was... She thought she was coming back to her car. Yeah. Yeah. So the police get involved, and they start questioning people in her circle. So they talk to um, the guys who have been at the Taco Bell coming through the drive-thru, and they figure, okay, well, this guy was just a... He was a kid, basically, around the same age as she was, and just being a teenager. And they didn't really... He had an alibi for the time that she actually was gone. Right, right. The search party goes on for weeks, and it gets larger. 
like we said, they're canvassing the entire county at well, this point. Also, this is winter, so the yeah. weather is not good. It snowed. Um, it's very cold. Um, this area of Virginia, you know, it gets pretty cold in the winters. Mm-hmm. Then this happened to be a very cold time. And it, um, like I said, it had snowed. So the urgency to find her was growing every day based on the fact, number one, the fact she's been gone so many days. The weather's terrible. You don't really know where else she where she could be. Um, yeah. Like you said, there was no indication she had run away. So it just really seemed like the leads were kind of pointing in one direction. But without the body, it was going to be tough to prove anything. Yeah. Well, after weeks of searching, on February 10th of 2000, they find her body in Parrot, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And so for those of you that are not familiar... Parrot is a secluded area of Pulaski County. It's uh, super small. There's only about 500 people that live there. It's very wooded. Um, it is bordered by the New River. So her body was found at a ravine there. Yes. An interesting fact about that, um, while the search was going on, Tara's parents actually consulted a psychic who told them that her body would be found near water in a wooded area. Really? And that's actually what happened. So that's interesting yeah um i tried to find some information on the psychic but i couldn't so that would be interesting to know if she played a part in any other cases other cases or anything you know that's not all that uncommon in cases where kids go missing because parents are so desperate for any kind of lead or information that they do turn to people that claim to be psychics and try to maybe get some information that'll point them in the right direction but Mm-hmm. So her body was found and she was naked from the waist up. She'd been shot four times, three times in the head and once in the chest. And she also had bruises um, on her body. The cold weather was actually kind of a blessing in disguise for, in this case because it actually preserved a lot of the DNA that was on her body. Mm-hmm. So they did find um, semen samples on her body. Mm-hmm. And they were able to test that as well. And um, during all this time, while we're, people were out searching for the body, um, Jeff had, the night that Tara went missing, he went to a friend's house to stay. Because I believe, by all accounts, he was unemployed. He didn't have a permanent home. He kind of you know went around and stayed with friends. Mm-hmm. And so he went to a friend's house to stay. And she testified that he showed up covered in mud was acting pretty erratic and saying, I didn't mean to do it or something to that nature. And this was the 26th, right? No, Early the, morning? It, well, I don't know the exact time on that, but he stayed at her house after committing the crime. Okay. So she didn't call the cops, but um, I don't know the exact date, but she was pulled over by the police. And when she got pulled over, she started telling them that she had information about the Tara Muncie case that she thought she knew who did it, and she gave them Jeff Thomas's name. And so he eventually was arrested. So I believe that morning in some of the research that I did that he had actually even told her that he had gone to the river with Tara, and they were going to party mm-hmm. after she got off work, and that um, he was under the impression she wanted to have sex with him. Right. Well, apparently, she rejected him. He got mad about it, and they got into a fight, 
And it seems like she tried to get away from him because, like we said, when her body was found, she was bruised up pretty good. Like she had, you know, been into a fight. But that he grabbed the gun and he shot her and then he threw the gun in the water, nearby water. Right. And that's what he told the woman that he was going to be staying with. Right. And she said she didn't really believe that he had done anything. Right. But But it hadn't actually come out at this point that there was anybody missing because this is still like the early hours of the 26th. Yeah. It wouldn't be out. I mean, her parents probably... She hadn't been gone for 12 hours yet. Right. Yeah. So I can understand, you know, you don't, you haven't heard anything about it, but I still think that if someone came to my house muddy and telling me that they had killed somebody, I don't think that I would just be like, oh, you didn't do it. Oh, it's let a, me make up the couch for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, that just, I don't know. It just seems strange. But then again, maybe he was the type that made up stories. Yeah. You never know. I mean, yeah. obviously there was, he had issues. Yeah. So maybe there, maybe he just lied a lot and embellished stories. And maybe she was just like, okay, you know, he's just making it up. So he stays with the friend for the night. Um, Sometime in the few days after Tara's disappearance, he is questioned by the police because witnesses put him at the apartment with her before she went to work. So he was on the police's radar because people said that he was there and that he followed her when she left. Right. So they are already kind of looking at him, but without the body, without any other real evidence, you know, they don't have a whole lot to go on until his friend that he stayed with, until she's pulled over and tells police, basically, I think I know who did this. I think I know who killed Tara. And by this time, Tara's picture's everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's out there. It's it's all over the news. I mean... The local news stations are in Pulaski County every day, all day, basically, following these searches. Right. And, you know, like I said, everybody is hoping for, you know, that she'll be found alive and hoping that it's not the worst case scenario. But um, after his friend tells the police this, he is arrested. The DNA that was found on Tara's body matched him. So there was that. There was the eyewitness testimony about him being Um, with her before her murder there was also the testimony from his friends basically admitting that he did it and they never found the gun he you know like you said he said that he threw it in the water and they never found it speaking of the gun yes they did have some evidence for that so they found the 22 caliber um casings at the scene right come to find out Jeffrey uh, Thomas had borrowed a gun. Well, he hadn't actually borrowed it. A gun was left in his vehicle by an acquaintance of his. This goes back to December right. of 1999. So he apparently this guy lived in a remote area, and when Jeffrey took him home one evening, it was very icy, and he didn't want to carry the gun up to his house up this steep driveway. Right. So he left it in his car. Never got it back from him. Right. And he actually... Jeffrey tells the police that he had given the gun to another friend to give back to that friend who left it in his vehicle. Mm -hmm. But when they questioned the original owner of the gun, he said, no, that was not the case. It was never given back to me. It was never given to that other friend. He kept it. And so they actually were able to match up the casings from the scene to casings that had been shot off that guy's porch. So they were able to put that He was basically just practicing target shooting off of his porch. And he had uh, casings in his yard. Yep. And they were able to match the two, saying they were shot from the same gun. Yeah. And so at the scene, they also found filterless cigarettes. 
Yes. And they said, uh, a lot of people that knew Jeffrey Thomas said that when he smoked a cigarette, he would light up with the um, filter on it, mm-hmm. and then he would rip the filter off and just smoke it, you know, unfiltered. That's very strange. Well, as a former smoker, I, I don't... I don't know why you would do that because it, it would be terrible for one thing. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand that either. It makes and no sense. Why would you not just roll buy tobacco own. and roll your own? Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess he rolled his own weed. So why would he not just roll his own tobacco? Right. I, I don't. I don't get that. Yeah. But they were able to pull DNA off of those um, filterless cigarettes, and it matched him. Right. So we have a lot of DNA evidence in this mm-hmm. case. I mean, the thing about it is, this case is not really a difficult one I don't think to, for you know all the evidence points to him he's basically admitted that he's done it so it's not really a you know difficult case I don't think for the prosecution there's a lot there mm-hmm. and it's actually you know a good thing for the family that they don't have to you know really wonder what's going to happen have you ever gone to a website and thought it was really outdated and kind of hard to navigate I sure have. They need to look into TR Squared Designs. Oh, yeah? What do they do? They do everything from website designs, point-of-sale systems, and e-commerce systems. How do I get in touch with them? You can go to trsquared.com. And for our listeners, if you mention that you heard about TR Squared Designs on One Murder at a Time podcast, you will receive a free consultation of your website or point-of-sale system or website evaluation. So the day that Tara's body was found, February 10th, actually, as it were, um, Jeffrey was supposed to come in for an interview with the police. And during the interview, they asked him if he had been down to the river lately. And his response was, I haven't killed anybody. That's a strange response, I think. Most people just be like, no, I haven't been to the river. And also at this point, we don't know Tara's dead. So why would you say I haven't killed anybody? Mm-hmm. That's just kind of a really strange response. So they get a warrant for his vehicle and they find more DNA evidence. Um, basically, there is a mountain of evidence against this guy. It's There's no lot. possibility that it's anybody else. No. It's, it's definitely him. Right. So um, he goes to trial. And um, he is convicted in March of 2001. And during the sentencing phase of his trial, um, Tara's mother actually lobbied for him to not receive the death penalty. Um, She didn't believe in it, and she didn't want another life to be taken. She didn't, it wouldn't change anything in her eyes, and it would, you know, not do anything. It wouldn't be considered justice for her daughter. This woman, from everything that I've read, she was a saint. Like, mm. I could not imagine. She was she was aware of who he was because of the connection with Tara's boyfriend's mother and everything. Mm-hmm. But still, it, he killed her daughter. Right. And so I could not imagine going through this trial and hearing what he had done to her, you know, and lobbying to keep him alive. I'd like to think I would do that, but I don't know that I could. Mm-hmm. And she just, she went on a crusade for it. She did. I mean, she really, it was important to her that he not receive the death penalty. Also, um, on the day of Tara's funeral, her mother discovered a lump and found out shortly after that she had cancer. 
So, you know, she's got so much going on. Her daughter has just died. She's going to be going through cancer treatments herself. And she's lobbying to save the life of the man that murdered her daughter. I mean, that is, if that's not a, you know, just a courageous woman, I don't know what is. Um, And she was successful. In March of 2001, Jeff Thomas was convicted of capital murder, attempted rape, and the use of a firearm in the commission of a felony. And he actually received the death penalty, even though Tara's mother strongly lobbied against it. Well, the Commonwealth's attorney decided, with all due respect to her mother, who they thought highly of, because like we said, this woman was a saint, that um, due to the nature of the crime and just the vileness of it, that he was, he was going for the death penalty. So he decided to go for it, and he got it. And interesting thing about this, the day that he was... Con- or the day that he was convicted of this crime, I was in downtown Pulaski, mm-hmm. and I was driving past the courthouse. Yeah. I get to a red light, I look over, and he is in the back of a cop car sitting right beside of me. Oh, wow. And I look over, and he was looking right at me. And, I, you know, I'd seen his picture on the news and everything. Right. And you knew what was going on, because news trucks and everything were there, you know. It was a high-profile case. But I remember seeing him and just... It just unnerved me so bad. But mm-hmm. Well, knowing that you're looking at a murderer. Yeah, that, a man who killed, you mm-hmm. know, a young girl. So I, I, I'll i never forget that. I just thought that that was, I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, that, I, you never told me that before. So um, he's convicted and sentenced to death. But the Virginia Supreme Court gets involved not too long afterwards because they decide that they try to get a change of venue out of Pulaski County. Right. Because they said that the the jury pool was just so tainted that they wouldn't be able to get a impartial jury. Right. Because the case was everywhere. Everybody knew about it. Right. But uh, the judge in the case denied the appeal to have a change of venue. Right. I think it was thought that he, from what I read, the judge originally said that he thought he could get, they seated a jury. And so basically... Since they seated the jury, that that meant that they could have the trial in Pulaski. Mm-hmm. Basically, they said they found, you know, the impartial jury that they needed. And since they were able to do that, there was no need to change the venue. It actually came out later that one of the persons who was on the jury even told someone that they knew he was guilty and they were going to fry him. Oh, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, so it, it was not a, an impartial jury, mm-hmm. and it should have been moved, in my opinion. I'm not, you know, I'm not a lawyer or a judge, but anybody, I mean, like we were talking about, this is a small area, and everybody knew about this. There was, I don't know how you could think you, the thing is, they don't have to not have heard about it. They have to not have formed an opinion. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is, with all the evidence that there was, it would be very hard not to form an opinion about it, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, So you kind of, you almost had to go somewhere else where people weren't as in tune with it. And like we said, this was before social media was huge. So, you know, you could go two or three counties away and have a completely different jury pool because social media was not telling everybody about it. Mm -hmm. Even though it was on the news, you know, a lot of people didn't watch the news. You know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't a 24-hour news cycle quite yet then either. 
I think that it doesn't really change much. No, because the evidence is still the evidence. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that he did it. It's just, it's got to be fair. I mean, you're entitled to Yeah, a I mean, he was, in, he's, he was entitled to a fair trial. And so, basically, he's still convicted, but his sentence is changed from the death penalty to life without parole. So, Kitty was successful with her? Essentially, yeah. yeah. She got what she wanted. He did not get the death penalty, so he is still in prison. An interesting thing that I didn't bring up earlier, too, he had actually already been in prison before. Um, he had served a two-year sentence for attacking his neighbor with a baseball bat. Oh, so wow. he did have, you know, prior conviction. It's not like it came from out of the blue. I mean, he had a violent past. He's also a 30-year-old who hangs out with a 16-year-old. So that he's not related to, you know, in any mm-hmm. way. It's just this is strange. Yeah. But um, so... Basically, he will be in jail for the rest of his life. No parole. So Bill and Kitty got remarried. Yes. they. Their parents. Yeah, and that's one good thing that did come out of this. Um, her parents did get remarried in 2006. Um, Kitty did lose her battle with cancer. That same year, right? It was not long after they remarried. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it did bring them back together. I think they were always pretty close from what I've read, that mm-hmm. they, they weren't like... People who get divorced and never speak again. I think they were cordial. Yeah. Well, they have a son, too, together, mm-hmm. uh, Tara's brother. But then in 2013, Bill Muncy has another tragedy happen when their family home burns down. Right. And if you read any articles on it, it, it you, your heart just breaks for this guy. He's He lost his daughter in a horrible way. He lost his wife to breast cancer. And... Then his home burns to the ground. Mm-hmm. And he's just talking about how he lost all the physical memories of her. Right. And that all the pictures he had of her, except the one he carries in his wallet, were burned. Didn't they say also that basically her bedroom, had, had it was ca- pretty ca- much the exact same way it was when she went missing? Yeah, they hadn't touched it. Mm-hmm. And so that, that that just broke my heart for him because... And he seems like a, a wonderful man, too. And yeah, It just seems like she came from a really good family. Yeah. That she just had a, a really nice family, too. Mm-hmm. No matter what, it's a tragedy. But when people have to go through, you know, additional things like cancer and your home burning down, it's, why do, you know, bad things happen to good people? Mm-hmm. But from the beginning, this case kind of hit home. I mean, yeah. not just in the locality of it, but like I said, this was 2000. I graduated in 99, so... She was two years younger than me. And it could have been any one of us, you know, that you don't know exactly who you're hanging around with and what they're actually capable of. And Well, that's the thing. From her perspective, you know, she's just going and having fun with friends. But from my perspective as an older person, you know, you look at it. When you were 30 years old, you know, you weren't hanging around 16-year-olds. But I can see how, from her perspective, you know, she... It looks different from it the does. eyes of a 16 It does. You're, yeah. you're a kid. Yeah. You know, so I think that, yeah, it did definitely captivate the area. Like we were talking, this is the first one that I really remember, like... I mean, we'd had the Gina Hall case, you know, years ago, but that both we had of us... Heard that of. we had always heard about, but we didn't really know a whole lot. I mean, we do now, obviously, but... 
at the time, we didn't, we'd heard about it, but we didn't know so much detail about it. And I, I think for my generation, at least, this would be the first one that really made you think, you know, kind of check your surroundings. Because at first, you didn't know what happened to her. Yeah, you thought she was could have just been taken. Yeah. Like, just some stranger. You didn't know it was somebody who was, like, in her circle, but... Somebody yeah. she knew yeah, and was, you know, friends with by all accounts. And, yeah, it did, though. It made you think, you know, when you were walking to your car, you kind of looked around, especially if it was at night, you know. Well, and especially before her body was actually mm-hmm. found because you didn't know what had happened to her. And so, uh, is it going to happen again? Right. Is another, you know, teenager going to go missing? You, you didn't know. So, it, it was unnerving, mm-hmm. you know. And then your heart just broke for the Muncie family once they found the body. And then all the circumstances come out, and it's just, it's a heartbreaking story. It really is. So that's um, episode two, the Tara Muncy case. Um, we'd like to thank everybody for listening, and um, check back. We'll be posting a new episode soon. So stop by our website, onemurderatatime.com, or look us up on Facebook. Uh, send us a message. Let us know what you think about the podcast or any suggestions, stories, anything you'd like for us to cover. And we'll get the next one out to you soon.